Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. So this is the podcast by Young Makers, about Young Makers, and for everybody. And with me in the, sh- the studio today is somebody who I've been trying to get on for a very long time. And uh, well, the last three days in a row, or two, well, two days we've been trying to get him on. We've been struggling through me just forgetting about him for a day and then you know uh technical difficulties and finally after all the heartache we've got him on the show so welcome sean leong am i saying that right perfect oh awesome all right oh yeah sure yeah introduce yourself uh i'm sean leong Uh, i live in uh, honolulu hawaii uh, which is in the United States for you Canadians. <laughs> um, I've been making knives for about two and a half years now. I am apprenticing under um, professional knife makers Ken Onion and Jeff Park, and I love my job. Awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect introduction. So, Sean, I talked to you, oh, man, probably right when the show started, I think I found you on Instagram. And we talked in a little bit and said you'd be interested someday. And then you finally got a mic. And so now we're finally making it happen. So I'm excited to... You were one of the like, first people I talked to. And now you're finally on the show. So I'm super excited. Um, and my intention always... I saw that you had... Yeah, you were apprenticing. And so I really wanted to talk about how it is to have mentors. But first, you know, we'll be getting into that first... I don't really know you, the listeners, unless they follow you, they probably don't really know you. So uh, how did how did this all come about? Well, it's a pretty funny story, I like to say so. So it all starts about two and a half years ago. Uh, my parents never let me have an Xbox or a PlayStation, and I have um, neighbors on my, in my neighborhood. There's about seven boys, and we always hang out together like brothers, except when we fight, we get to go home afterwards. <laughs> um, so... They all actually had the idea too. Their parents uh, didn't let us get any video games, and we live right next to the mountains. Um, so we are constantly going up in the mountains, bushcrafting, learning survival skills, uh, making little fires, and cooking things. Um, really having a great time up there. And when we first started, we were using like Swiss Army pocket knives, and then we started slowly progressing to like the Moras. And I was finally gonna get a, a custom knife by this guy named uh, Melanica. He's a Scandinavian, and I see him on DBK, uh, Dutch Bushcraft Knives, which was our favorite YouTubers back then. And I was about to buy a $400 custom knife when my friend very literally kicks my door open and says, Sean, Sean, you don't have to buy that. We can make our own knives. And at this point, we're like 14. So I'm like laughing at him. I'm like, we can't make knives. We're kids. What are we going to do? So he goes, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. So he gets every single person in the neighborhood, except me, to start making knives in his little jinky garage shop with one file, one hacksaw, and one vice, and some uh, mild steel. Um, about a couple weeks go by, he's still trying to convince me to join him, and nobody's getting anywhere. Their knives look like complete junk, and I'm just laughing at them the whole time. Uh, a couple weeks pass from then, um, uh, my other friends are getting out of it because they're just bored out of their mind. They're just filing for days, getting nowhere. And he finally convinces me to make one knife with him. I'm like, if I make you shut up, I'll make one knife. I say, but you have to buy one power tool. So we go down to the local hardware store, pick up a little one by 30. I make my first knife and I get instantly hooked. And I haven't stopped from there. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> just let me backtrack a little bit. You guys had seven people with one vice and one hacksaw? Yeah. Yes, I know. Seven people. Well, that's that's pretty sweet. That's I, that is a funny story. You yeah, know, un- most people. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, unfortunately, um, all the other kids dropped out in the beginning, and then about uh, six months ago, my other friend that got me into it uh, dropped out of it too, just because of cost and how serious I was getting. Oh, you're the the last man standing. Last man standing. But I'm sure they all still think it's cool. They're not, they're not like my friends. They all think it's weird. Oh, trust me. A lot of people think I'm weird, especially in school and stuff like that. They're like, oh, Sean's the knife kid. <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of jokes like, oh, you're going to stab me with your knife? I'm like, no, <laughs> I make kitchen knives, not stabbing knives. But that is that's funny. Most of the stories I get on here, you know, and I was worried they were starting to get too repetitive. It's, 
oh yeah, you know, my dad did something similar. And so then one day I'm like, oh, look, a knife, <laughs> you know, and then I made knives. But that, that's a great story. It's funny that you were the last holdout. And now you're now you're the big, you know, you're in too deep now. Pretty much. Uh, it's kind of funny. My dad has no idea how to make knives. Uh, he's not he's a pharmaceutical rep, not a craftsman. Not to say he's not handy because he fixes all the electrical stuff in our house. And he basically built um, my workshop that's now in my house, not in my friend's house um, from the ground up. Me and him built it. Um, but he's not a craftsman. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Most people have been. So you weren't really around tools when you were young. It was kind of it all came on what around 14. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had a wood shop classes in school. Um, our school has a lot of uh, a lot of equipment comparatively to most uh, other schools on the island. But uh, yeah, I wasn't really around tools until I really started making knives. Crazy. So this all came around just from just from being into knives hey, and you you got into it through that. So how did you meet Ken Onion and I can't remember. Uh, Jeff Park. Sorry, Jeff. I can't I couldn't remember his name. I shouldn't. Jeff Park. I, I don't know him well enough to just call him Jeff, especially because I've never talked to him. But how did you meet? How did you meet your uh, masters? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so it was a, through a friend of a friend. Um, I forgot who it was, but uh, they called me up one day and through my mom, and they said, uh, "Hey, you know, I am so and so's doctor." And I know your son makes knives, and I was wondering if you want me to introduce him to him. And I was like, oh, yeah, that would be amazing. And then so um, I ended up talking to him a little bit. I don't really, I didn't know his name, which is the weirdest thing. I called him, and I didn't know his name. And he's like, wow, you know, you're, you, the things you sent me are, you seem to be really talented. I'd love to have you over my shop and teach you stuff, which I was incredibly flattered by. And then so literally on the car ride there, I think to myself, like, hey, what's this guy's name? And my mom turns to me and goes, oh, here, let me show you. Um, Ken Onion. And I literally like flip out because Ken Onion is a real big name in the industry, especially talking about folding knives. Uh, he's probably considered to be one of the top guys for folding knives in history. And so I kind of flipped out and I kind of got all like scared, and, like sweaty hands and everything to meet him. But he is just the absolute most down-to-earth guy I know. And then regarding Jeff, uh, Jeff works with Ken very closely. Um, they work in the same shop. He's kind of his uh, uh, part cutter almost, but he also makes his own knives. He's this very talented knife maker in his own right. Um, but they both do folding knives. But Ken has done pretty much everything from kitchen knives, bushcraft knives, survival knives, all that kind of stuff. So he's been helping me a lot lately. Yeah, but you don't make folding knives. I, or at least I don't remember ever seeing any. Unfortunately, your... I do not. Um, I will definitely be getting into that. Uh, in the future, but I'm really trying to perfect my craft and fixed blades first. Do all mm. the fancy stuff. Yeah, fixed blades. Fixed blades are definitely the place to start. Uh, I haven't done any folders yet either, but I do. I do hope to eventually do it. But I want to definitely get uh, kitchen knives down first. Now, you we talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday while we were trying to get the mics figured out, but it's not so much of a formal apprenticeship, is it? It's more of a like a mentorship. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I have my own shop at my house. Uh, it's nothing fancy, my own shop. But uh, at his place, I basically go over about once a month, if I can. Um, he lives kind of far away from me, that's why. Well, Hawaii standards far away, like a 45-minute drive, which is very far in Hawaii. Um, so I basically go over there anytime I need help. Um, he has a laser engraver there and a surface grinder, so I like to play around with those. And... Uh, yeah, it's mostly when I just need help on learning something. Like I just went over there the other day to learn how to do um, blood grooves. So it's a really big help. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I got to say I'm jealous for sure. Uh, oh, and sorry, something I've been meaning to mention for a minute. You said earlier that for a while your shop was at your friend's house. Uh, yes, it was. Um, he lives uh, two houses away from me. Um, and we live in a suburban neighborhood, so it's literally like a one-minute walk. It was in his garage with one workbench. And but when we left his shop, it, we were into knife making about six months. And uh, we had one drill press, a toaster oven, and we used to heat shoot our stuff in a, a charcoal grill with a blow dryer. 
Man, you guys, you guys must be close for their his parents to let you make knives in their garage. Oh yeah, I actually uh, blew up the toaster oven on accident one time. <laughs> Long story. Ah, uh, we got time. time. We we've got time. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll tell it real. I'll tell the shortened version of it. So basically, we're very very cheap, you know, because we're kids, and I think any person trying to run a business as a kid is also very very cheap and conserves their money well. So after we'd be done heat treating. We would get our leftover charcoal in our grill, and we would take it out, and we'd put it in the toast or the convection oven. Sorry, it's a small little convection oven, and we'd dry it out. And to prevent against fires, we'd put a sledgehammer like in the doorway so it wouldn't close and it wouldn't light the charcoal on fire. But it'd be enough for the heat to like you know evaporate all the water out because we used to pour water on the thing to put out the fire instantly. And so one day I uh, put my stuff in the in the convection oven, and I forget that it's on, and I go home. And then at like eight o'clock at night, my friend calls me. He's like, Sean, did you leave the freaking charcoal in the toaster in the oven? I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. He's like, bro, my entire house smells like smoke and I had to put it out with a fire extinguisher. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. And I felt so bad. But uh, when I went over to his house to apologize to his grandparents and his parents, he, they were like, oh, we don't care. I was like, oh, okay. Wow. that That's a good story. I'm, I'm glad we didn't miss that. I used to, I used to dream of having, because in Calgary we're, you know, we used to live in the city and I lived in a townhouse. We didn't have a garage or anything. I was in like a four by six gravel pad and I had to pack up all my tools every day and it was rough. So my friend across the street had a big garage and like this big house. So I used to fantasize about asking his parents to let me make knives in the garage. But, you know, I was forging too. So I guess it's louder and just overall more obnoxious. And I guess he wouldn't he wouldn't be in there with me. So it's kind of nice that you had a friend to do it with. Oh, I mean, I owe a lot to him. I, I give him a hard time all the time. Like, hey, you know, you're a loser. You quit knife making, stuff like that. But I honestly owe a lot to him. If it wasn't for him, I would never be where I am right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely cool that you got into it, you know, with other people. And it definitely sort of makes a different... Um, different experience it would be nice to pool resources too you know and have somebody to help you buy larger pieces of equipment oh that was probably one of the biggest helps um yeah we always put our money together and um purchase the equipment like i remember the first drill press we got i didn't want to get it and he was like yeah we need a drill press i was like come on we can just keep using the power drill convince me to get it and yeah a lot of like actually his grandfather bought us our even heat heat treating oven and so that saved me a ton of money yeah, that's a big purchase for a family member. Oh, and actually, I just want to give a quick shout out uh, to Ken Onion on this one. He actually gave me my uh, bow mount or KMG belt grinder. He just uh, he had an extra one lying around and he that he didn't want. And he just gave it to me, and I'm super appreciative of that. I mean, it's a big purchase, and I yeah. was able to save that amount of money because he gave me that, and I was able to buy um, the milling machine because of that. And a reversible disc sander, which if you're a knife maker and you don't have a reversible variable speed disc sander, you are missing out. Oh man, you know you're a serious knife maker when you have an extra KMG lying around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, his shop yeah. is so cool. I assumed that the milling machine was at uh, Ken's shop. But in fact, how much did that cost you, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, uh, no problem. So I just want to address Ken's milling machine first. He has a bridge port. Um, it's just pretty much an average bridge port as I've seen so far. But my milling machine, it's a tiny little grizzly. Um, so the thing about making knives in Hawaii is that shipping will kill you. Um, the milling machine itself with the DRO and the stand um, was about $2,150, I believe. But then it was 2700 when I added shipping not including the power feed and the vice and all the tooling with it. So I think it came out to about 3,500 in total for everything. So it was a big purchase. Definitely the biggest purchase I've made so far. Yeah, that is a, that is a big, that's bigger than anything I've ever bought. Um, so is it, or is, is that bought with knife making money or uh, have you been working another job? Uh, a bit of both, honestly. Um, Knife making generally, you know, you, you everybody does this. They make the knife, they get a new tool, make a knife faster, get another tool, make a knife. That's basically how it's been going. Um, I've been saving up a long time for the milling machine, even back when we were in the old shop. I had a little fund on the side that anytime I get a large amount of money, I'd just put, you know, maybe like $10, $15 in there. 
And after a while, I looked at the fund and I was like, yeah, you know, I think I can be able to purchase something. But the thing was, I was totally down to get like a bridge port, like drop like maybe six grand on a bridge port. But uh, the thing is, my shop is underneath my house and you have to walk downstairs and they have to go to this tiny little door to get it. And I just couldn't fit it because it's also on, it's, I live on a hill sort of. And so everything's on basically ply board and almost like stilts. And so if it doesn't, if I get a machine that's like heavier than like 500 pounds or something like that, I have to jack the floor up. I have to put in a new reinforcements and everything. And it's just a big pain in the butt. So I decided to go with something a little bit lighter because, you know, I'll probably be on the mainland going to college soon anyways. So I thought, you know, why spend six grand getting a fancy smancy machine when I can just get this for now. And it's working absolutely a treat so far. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for most knife making procedures, you don't need anything too fancy. I feel like you can get away with, yeah, your, uh, yeah, grizzly or something, or even you see those mini lathes, <laughs> the like Chinese mini lathes and stuff you can get. I feel like all those sort of level tools are okay for most knife making until you get into really high end, you know, even for most folders. But when you get into really high end folders, you may want something a little bit more precise, take out a little wobble. Yeah, no, that's true. The tolerances on the machine are not the best because um, I've used uh, Bridgeports back in my school and at Ken's. Tolerances aren't the best, but you know, for what I'm doing, it's honestly more than enough, especially with the DRO. That's I think that was overkill, but I love it. It's so easy. Yeah, technology. Technology scares me, so anything that makes it easier to use is, is a plus in my book. Definitely. Now, if you've listened to this show before, you know what I'm about to ask. We're going to get into the, the basis for this show. What are some challenges and advantages you've found, you know, in your experience being a young maker? Excellent question. I always love when you ask this question because it's pretty much different for everybody. So I'll start with the challenges. Um, you know, the basic thing, you know, you don't get taken seriously. Um, I know that you are the opposite when it comes to that. But when, like, if I'm going up to... Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I was just listening to your show with Aiden. Aiden Knight and I remember you saying something about like how you are always taken seriously and stuff like that am I wrong I don't know if I'm taken serious people have seemed to be nice so far nice so far but no you know people aren't like bowing at my feet or anything you make you make me sound like a big deal you know <laughs> well you are no, a big like, deal. <laughs> so far though nobody's scoffed at me or anything when I ask how much the drill press is or any you know what I mean mm -hmm. but I mean, you yeah, get looks anyway. at like Home Depot and stuff like that when you go and they just look Definitely. at you like... They think you're some hooligan in yeah. to buy, you know, what? what's this guy looking at drill bits for? Exactly. And attack a cat or something? <laughs> I don't know what people are thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, I went to Home Depot like a couple months ago and I bought this like huge angle grinder and I was there by myself. And the lady at the cashier was like, uh, son, I think you need a parent to buy this. And I was like, uh, there's no sign that says I do. And she's like, okay, yeah, technically you don't, but I'd still like to. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not like going to cut something open. She's like, okay, fine. I'll sell it to you. But, um, I mean, mostly regarding like, I think customers when they go like, Hey, you know, why are you charging so much for your prices? Um, you know, maybe like school friends, stuff like that. Like, you know, you're what, 16, why are you charging $300 for a knife? I'm like, cause that knife's made out of nitro V and it has $50 stabilized handles on it. So I would say that's probably the biggest downside that I faced so far, but it's honestly, I really shouldn't be complaining cause it's not that much, but the upsides have definitely been greater. I would say, um, one way I was able to get into Ken's shop in the first place was because I caught his eye cause I was what 14 or 15 at the time. Um, like when I reach out to other knife makers and stuff, they're always interested to help the younger generation. And I think it's been a real plus because people, once they see my work and see what I can do, I think everybody can relate to this, but once they see what you can do, they're much more interested because of your age and because of the challenges that they were facing back then. Like, you know, most people have a hard enough time with school, let alone running their own business. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes you stand out a little bit. It gives you a little bit more, I wouldn't say legitimacy, but it almost gives you, yeah, there's some respect that comes along sort of with being young and being a, being a hustler, especially, yeah, parents or older people who complain about kids being on their video games too much. They love, all right, I'm going to say it, this is the last time I can say this story because I've told it on a, like four or five different episodes, but my guy that I bought the anvil from, 
uh, told me, it's just nice to see a kid who's not out smoking crack. <laughs> so, you know, pit adults definitely do like to see it once they get over the initial, the initial shock. Hey, do you want to hear something funny? That's pretty much exactly what the guy that I bought my anvil from told me. I mean, sort of. He was like, I'm really glad to see that the younger generation is being able to make things instead of, you know, most guys are, you know, playing video games or smoking pot. Yeah. See, I love that my guy said crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's like he was looking for the right word to use and he couldn't think of anything. So he ended up just going with the first drug that came to mind and it ended up being probably harder than he intended. I would, but, I would think so. You know. I don't know a lot of kids that are out there doing that. So Yeah, I hope not, you know. at least. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I'm always surprised. But no, it definitely is. It definitely does sort of give you some legit... Again, not legitimacy. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Like, and it's the ability to, like, impress, almost. It's very mm -hmm. impressive when, you know, you're at a younger age and you're able to talk with the big boys about business. Yeah. Metaphorically, of course. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My business is kind of kind of failing. I got to start tutoring some kids to get some money to support myself here. But Oh, yeah. I want to go on a little off-road about that. I was actually thinking after COVID of teaching knife-making lessons for a little bit of cash. Mm, I was I was hoping to do the same thing, but almost more of just cuz I'm not at a super high level where I feel like, you know, it, you kind of got to be on a certain level to say you're teaching someone to make yes. a knife but almost giving them access to the tools and the basic knowledge. It's, uh, oh, what a, a workshop, you know? Mm. I'm sort of offering like a knife workshop where I can come and give you tips and you can make a knife. And I think that would be a good way to save up for some larger equipment too, yeah. No, that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking because, you know, I can't teach you how to make a, you know, Damascus bowie knife hand forged damascus or whatever i can't do that but i can definitely teach you how to make a basic knife i have no problem doing that so i was yeah, thinking I can you know, walk you through yeah exactly I, I can walk you through it i mean i've taught multiple of my friends who asked you know can i come over and make a knife for you know diving knife fishing knife whatever i've always had them, um come over and i'll help them with it as long as they pay for the materials yeah and i mean i don't know about you i don't have multiples of anything so I definitely couldn't be offering, you know, a six-person class for the weekend because, uh, what, five guys are supposed to sit there and watch one person on the belt sander? So I definitely offer one-on-one -on -one workshop is something I'm looking into for the summer, yeah. No, I, I totally know what you mean. I have some kind of doubles of tools a little bit, not that much. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd say I wouldn't ever teach more than three. Mac, I Preferably two, I'd say, but no, no more than three. Yeah. Although eventually I want to open a school. Hey, man, like this it. is this is far. This is my like ultimate goal for my life. But yeah, I'd love to I'd love to open a school for all this stuff, you know, broader than knife making, but all the crafts. Yep. No. Hey, man, if you open that up, I'm definitely coming just to take one class just to see how it is. I mean, who knows? We'll see. We'll see where you are by then. You can come teach a class. Shoot. Uh, you know. That's what I'm almost thinking. Maybe maybe as I do the podcast I'm meeting some of my potential teachers or something someday. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, potential colleagues, right? Yeah. But I mean that's 40 years down the line. Uh, yeah. I think you know because we're starting so young and most of the guys in the industry started probably almost after they retired. Honestly, I think you could be there in about 20 years. I mean, I don't I definitely don't see that as a hindrance uh, of yeah. your age and stuff like that. So I think you could really make it, man. Especially if, yeah, if you get a little bit of almost respect in the industry and a little recognition, you can get to know more people. I'm hoping to go to art school and, you know, meet more people in similar fields and and grow it from there. But that actually brings me in a smoother transition than I'm used to into um, what's what are you thinking of doing? I know you mentioned going to university on the mainland. Um what what are you sort of thinking loosely for your future? Obviously, nobody nobody actually knows, but what what are you hoping to do? Uh, that's a great question. So I'm kind of seeing where knife making takes me. Um, I probably don't think I'm going to do this as an actual career. If I do, I would be ecstatic. You know, I love my job. I get to play with fire and hit things for a living, right? So 
I'm very much keeping my grades up as much as possible with also, you know, maintaining the business at the same time, because if my business blows up and, you know, I'm making like, I'm just gonna put a number on it, a hundred K a year. And what's the point of going to college when I'm already successful, right? Why waste that time when I could be spending it making knives, but at the same time, you know, if I'm not making that much money, you know, business in decline by the time I'm a senior, I should have no problem getting into a half decent university. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, even if knife making does take off, I might still decide to go to business school to learn how to run my business correctly. Okay, so you're hoping for business? Generally, yeah. I'm hoping uh, to get some kind of business degree. But then just to be your own, just yes. to run your own business. All right, sweet, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've had people on here saying they want to be engineers or... Um, oh, I have one really cool one, too. Liam Penn said he has to go to the the Finnish military... For his six months, which was a surprising answer, but no, yours yours sounds good. Uh, I'm hoping to do some type of art school, you know, meet some people, grow where grow where I'm doing. I'm hoping my senior year should be almost empty of classes, so mm-hmm. I'll use that sort of to build my business. But speaking of building business, your business, I've like I here. Let me pull up your Instagram right now. I really like what you're doing, at least what I've seen of it. Because you know you've got the you've got the knife cases with your logo on it. You've got a great logo too. Thank you. Um, and everything just seems to be, yeah. You you're getting a lot of branding done. I see your hats here. Uh, business cards. Oh yeah, you're you know. So how's how big is that branding and and what are your sort of goals with that? How are you how are you apl- approaching that? Um, so I just want to say one more thing. I, I just got something that makes my knives look a lot better is a little certificates of authenticity with my own custom stamp. So I add that in everything now. Um, any knife you purchase by me, you'll get a certificate of authentic- authenticity um, with my signature stamp date and uh, model number of your knife. Um, but regarding mm. branding and stuff like that, um, I don't know. It's kind of cool just to pass out stickers to your friends and stuff like that. So I... I'm not huge, obviously. I'm not racking in like thousands per week, but I think, you know, getting a good foundation in branding and stuff like that and getting your word out is really important, especially when regarding business, because, you know, modern day era, you know, you can post as much as you want on Instagram. You're not going to get very far, but I say like still the physical, um, the physical transaction of you giving a business card to somebody, especially at the age we are, if you physically give a business card, I think it's honestly very professional. Yeah, and I think looking professional is something that as young makers, you have to really push for, here's the word, now it's time to use legitimacy. Um, Because you're not going to be taken seriously right out of the gate. You know, you're going to get a lot of, who's this kid? So having, yeah, business card, I think that physical, that professional aspect to it. Um, And my favorite thing is definitely your knife cases. Like that seems, that adds a lot of legitimacy right there. And that's the word of the day, by the way. Legitimacy. Yeah. But no, that is, that's really great. And yeah, that uh, professionalism too. I like that you said that. Um, regarding the knife cases, those were not cheap. Let me tell you that. Um, but I sold a knife to uh, one of my grandmother's friends. And um, I got some feedback from my grandmother. She said she was a little irritated her friend because it came in a... Uh, in a mic it's i used to send off all my knives in a wrap microfiber cloth with like a rubber band around it and you know to, i i think this is the main thing like i'm not trying to be sexist in any way here but men when they look at a knife they look at the knife inside but i feel like women um prefer the appearance and it was one of my first female customers because it was a bunch of kitchen knives and so when regarding that i think it's very important to have a presentation especially when you try to diversify um who you're selling to so i think it adds a professional touch to all my work Mm. Yeah, I definitely have this vision in my mind for what I want my boxes to look like. Right now, it's uh, I've got a mailing tube, and then I'm printing out my logo onto sticker paper and sticking it on, and my the knife inside is sort of wrapped in a cardboard and then bubble wrap. So I'm trying to like get as much pr- presentation on a budget. Um, I'm printing my logo on the back of the care sheet, so it's all sort of homemade, but hopefully, you know, it shows a li- it's a little bit nice, but... Definitely one of the next big things I want to buy is um, 
at least some professional, you know, glossy stickers to put on the tubes uh, or possibly, yeah, custom packaging. I want it to be like an iPhone box almost, you know? Oh, that's, yeah. I was looking into that. Um, I decided on the cases just because of, uh, it very much protects your knife and humidity is a big issue in Hawaii. You cannot work with carbon seals here and still be sane. Um, so yeah, that was one of my first purchases was a heat treating oven because of the humidity. But getting back to the point, the cases actually protect a little bit against the humidity. If I just throw one of those, uh, I don't know what they're called, but like the anti-humidity packets, the ones that you find in like, Oh, the silica gels? Yeah, the silica gels. That's what it's called. I just drop one of those in there, zip it up, and then it won't rust at all. It's, yeah, if I work with carbon steels, which I mostly work with stainless now. Oh, so that, that also explains why you're not forging very much. I know we talked about that yesterday, too. Oh, yeah. Um, you wouldn't believe how pain in the butt uh, carbon steels are in Hawaii. Oh, I'm sure. We I live in Alberta, so it's the prairies. It's just dry here all year. Uh, well, I mean, in winter it snows a lot, but you know the water's frozen. It's not really any help. Uh, yeah, hum- yeah. Again, humidity is a really big issue here. I envy you on the uh, continental. I can't say United States, but uh, North America, um, because you know you can leave a piece of let's say O one out, and it won't rust. I mean, it might, you know, little spot here, spot there. If you leave a piece of O1 out without putting some kind of coating on it, it'll rust like fully in a day. And it, God, if that thing is wet, it'll eat it in like a week. I'm not really? kidding. You'll start seeing like little, little etched divots. You know what I'm saying? Like beyond like just running a couple uh, 400 grit sandpaper over it. Like you'll actually have some real um, oxidization on it if you don't coat it in something. Oh man. No, here in the winter, like especially in the winter, if you leave... You can grind a sheet of steel and leave it outside for a week. And if it, as long as the snow's not melting, I mean, you know, you won't see anything. And it'll be perfect. So that's nice. But your hands are dry. Everything is dry. And the hand sanitizer, you know, when it's minus 40 and you got to put hand sanitizer on six times a day. Oh, that's that's tough. Yeah, I bet your hands crack all the time. Oh, yeah. You get used to it after a week. When your whole back of your hand is white and crackly, it's Oof. okay though. Oh, it's it's good stuff. We we like it. But winter's almost over here. I just let me take a break to talk about how nice the spring is. Oh man, I mean it's only we actually got a bunch of snow here today, but like still it was zero degrees and snowing instead of minus forty and snowing. So I've just been really enjoying having a little bit of time. I'm still waiting for steel. I haven't been working in two weeks, so. I've just been, yeah, outside on outdoor basketball courts. They're all completely soaked as the snow melts, but, you know, you deal with it. And just just been enjoying it. Uh, back to your regularly scheduled podcast here. <laughs> uh, I really do love your knife cases. I've been looking at possibly getting some, but I don't know. Right now, right now times, are, times are tight around air and irons and steel right now, so... That's for the future. But I like that I think the knife cases were a good choice because the customer can continue to use that forever, hopefully. Yeah, um, I got it from Robinson Cases and from reviews and people talking. And I just want to shout them out real quick because of the excellent customer service they have. Um, It was very nice working with them, especially getting all the custom things all fit out. And they're, uh, um, they're based in the United States, so I'm buying... Um, what does it work domestically? I know that again wouldn't be the same for you, but I like to support as many uh, United States-run businesses as possible. I'm just looking up, looking them up right now. Robinson Custom Cases. I want to look into something like that. So, thank you for dropping that link there. I'll might link them in the description. We'll see if I remember. <laughs> but so don't don't hold me to it. Don't quote me on that. Don't worry about but it. But yeah, I think that was an excellent choice. Um, all your branding and all that. And that all comes with business. So I'm wondering, like, when when, and how did that transition from, you know, just a hobby in your friend's garage, pardon me, turn to a business? And how's that process been for you? Um, let's see. God, I was not prepared for this question. Okay. So... Okay, this is weird, a weird transition because um, I had a girlfriend at the time, right? 
Ooh. and her yeah and uh, her dad was kind of into knives and he got like about three or four of his friends to buy knives for me and at the time i wasn't really selling a lot like i mean i probably sold about a couple before then to some close family and friends but uh they really that really opened up my market i guess and i started That's using a the profitable stuff. girlfriend right there <laughs> yeah i know and i paid for her stuff but anyways <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, at that point, it's when I kind of realized, uh, you know, I should probably have a logo because somebody asked me like, oh, you know, do you have like any kind of branding or business card? I said I didn't. So the first thing I got was the stickers. I remember that. Then as soon as I got those, I needed business cards. So I got that up and then I bought a website, uh, made it myself. It's not the best, I'd say. I mean, cause I, you know, I have no website experience, but uh, I'd say it's not bad for a first try. And then I got hats and, as you've seen, the cases and the certificates of authenticity. And I uh, got an apron for myself, for my shop, with my own branded stuff. And I laser engraved my logo into the majority of knives I sell. Oh, yeah, your website comes up right on top. Looks good. Thank you, man. And I'm just I'm just browsing through it really quickly. Um, the coolest thing I said I just added is the knife gallery. Uh, I do need to update it. None of the knives up there right now are really solid so i wouldn't recommend buying anything off of there because i can't i need to update it like literally today because i've sold a couple of those knives that are up yeah, it looks good i like that you have a video on there i need to put some videos i might have to buy myself a hat here we'll see <laughs> hey man just let me know just pay for shipping and it's yours uh don't don't be saying that on live TV or on the, on the podcast. People are gonna be messaging you all the time for free hats. <laughs> we we're not giving away free hats. We're not here, giving away people. free hats. Invite me to a podcast and you can have a free hat. How about that? All right, yeah, that's the deal. That's the you deal. Go, if he's on your podcast, you get a free. You get you pay for shipping. Yeah. All right. Everyone's gonna be starting podcasts. Everyone's starting podcasts already. Yeah. But. Speaking of everyone starting podcasts, go check out the other shows on the Maker Reach. They're they're all great. And actually, that brings me to a question I've been wanting to I've been meaning to slip into an episode for a while here. What are what have you been listening to the sh- listening to in the shop recently? And you don't have to say Makery Network podcasts. <laughs> this isn't an ad. You can say you know what what have you been into lately? I mean, of course, the Young Makers podcast, but um... the number one podcast in the world, by yes. the way. Yeah, according they, to our account. Yep, <laughs> factual information right there. Yeah, you can trust us. We're we're sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so generally, I, I'm most of the time I listen to music. I prefer seventies uh, and eighties rock. Um, some of my favorite bands are like Alan Parsons Project, um, Scorpions, uh, the Eagles. The Eagles are my favorite band of all time. Uh, Super Tramp, Steely Dan, all those kind of older bands I love. Oh, sweet. Um, I also love, you know, some of the newer stuff. Like, I really like this artist called Khalid. Um, yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, I listen to older music. And it's, you know, really passes the time when you're hand sanding. Which is the biggest pain in the butt ever. Well, that disc sander should do it all for you. How high oh. do you take it on the disc sander? Uh, generally to 800. Yeah, generally. so then... It's, yeah, yeah it's take, not that bad. I'll take mine to 600 and then hand sand with 400. And it takes... You know, however many passes, it's not bad at all. Yeah, it's, um, I actually have a little secret I'm going to divulge to the internet. So whoever's oh, watching this, this is going to get a real big tip. Use sanding stones and not sandpaper and then transfer to sandpaper. Now, um, these if you go to Falcon, I'm pretty sure it's like Falcon Stones. If they get the, uh, God, if I can remember this, the SE, it's like it's aluminum oxide. Right, and these SE stones, I'm pretty sure it's SE, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the stones make it probably at least double the speed of sandpaper because I hate hand sanding, so I will find the most cheap way I can hand sand. I was looking at uh, this guy on YouTube who has a hand sanding machine, I was like, God, I have to build one of those. But uh, yeah, I hate hand sanding, but if you get the sanding stones from Falcon Abrasives or whatever it's called, it makes life a lot better. Sweet. I just looked them up. I've been looking for stones like that for ages. I see them around sometimes, but I've never been able to try them. Um, Alex Steele and Will Stelter, some, that's my favorite YouTubers. Um, giving them a plug too. But uh, they bought some, but they didn't use it right. 
and they said they didn't like it and i was kind of yelling at the screen i'm like no you're not using it right um if you got to use it with mineral oil and you have to okay if honestly if anybody is in, actually interested in in this dm me and i'll show you exactly how to use it all right shoot him a dm at sean leong blade works on instagram his uh his instagram will be in the description as always so definitely well not his as always but you know the guest is always down there so definitely go check him out. Send him a send him a message if you're looking for some stones and how to use them. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen quite a few people starting to use uh, stones like that, especially for tight spaces where it's hard to get sandpaper in. And I guess you know corners wouldn't shear off the abrasive. I hate that sanding the choil on a chef's knife mm-hmm. and, and the plunges just, and stuff. Oh, so yeah, I'd love to try them. Oh, um, um, so do you have a descender? I do. It's uh, it's only, what, six or seven inch. It's the one from my 4x36 belt sander, and I just turned it sideways like uh, Noah Vachon shows on his story. Um, is it reversible for you? No, but if I turn it on and flick it the other way, it'll run backwards. Really? But it's okay. not supposed to do that. Okay, here, let me give you a little tip. Um, did you put a rubberized backing on it? I haven't, no. Oh, but Josh God. Smith told me I should, too. Yeah, no, no. You put a rubber eye... Um, I forgot the specific kind of rubber that I bought. Um, but, oh my God. It, you can, uh, it smooths out your plunge lines. You can really line up the plunge lines correctly. You don't have any chatter when you're grinding. Ken Onion taught me that trick, and he told me to tell as many people as I, as I can. Mm. So I'm telling you, and I'm telling everybody else who's listening, if you have a disc sander, make sure to put some kind of rubberized backing on it. I forget the type of rubber you told me to put on, but... Just put it on, and it'll make life so much better. Yeah, I assume it's a pretty hard rubber, hey? Um, honestly, it's it's honestly more on the softer side. Hmm. It, it, you know, I'll, I'll personally DM you the type of rubber later. Oh, dude, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, Josh Smith, after the first episode we recorded, uh, he told me that same thing when we were talking, which Josh Smith is awesome, too. Go check out his Instagram. Check out his podcast, The Josh Smith Show uh well that's a good dude but um yeah i'll have to try that um my only worry would be that it would you know because i'm doing all brute to forge stuff i've got the forge finish along the spine almost on every knife i make i really love the look so i'd be worried that having a little bit of give on that platen would just let it um sort of muddy the transition that's part of the thing i like about the disc sander is it lets me hand sand without uh, touching the forged texture and you know bring shining up the high spots so i'd be worried that it, that give might might screw me a little bit there um personally i mean i've done scandy grinds and stuff like that is never given me an issue um but yeah I, I can see where you're coming from i notice it does put a very very slight convex on mm. um, every edge if i just kind of nice for a kitchen knife yeah. Oh. Um. Oh. Well, I'm a kitchen knife. I sharpen with a belt sander and this special handmade Japanese dropping wheel. But mm. uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna have to definitely try that. I'd really appreciate. Yeah. What type of rubber you've got, and I'll definitely give it a try. Um. But yeah, I guess that concludes that concludes our new segment of what's what's good to li- what's good to listen to in the shop. Well, I I like to listen to audiobooks. I've been listening to uh. The Stormlight Archive, it's like fantasy stuff. I love fantasy books, man. Anything, I can't listen to or read anything modern. You know, if there's no swords, I'm not really interested. <laughs> Never got to audiobooks yet, but I guess I'll have to check it out. Oh, good stuff. And you get a free one every month with Audible. It's like 15 bucks a month, but then the book, you you know, books cost 45 bucks a book. So if you're getting a free one every month, it's kind of a better deal. If you're going to listen to it, I always <laughs> like them though. You're going to start sounding like Alex Steele. <laughs> it's just Audible. I'm not even sponsored. I just like Audible, man. Like, it's just good. So I'm I'm not advertising for them, but I definitely enjoy it. Because um, listening to music, I listen to almost exclusively rap music, being a rowdy teenager and all. <laughs> so sometimes the beats, after a couple hours, you know, having too many different beats in your head over and over again, it starts to get a little grating. So I'll definitely switch over to a podcast or an audiobook. And yeah. But let's get into sort of the biggest 
problem, the biggest question, other than what are you going to do with the rest of your life, <laughs> the biggest uh, question for young makers, how are you balancing all of this that's going on? You know, you've got, you know, a school, you may have sports or anything. If you're like Sean over here, you may have a girlfriend oh, sometimes. I don't have a girlfriend anymore. Hit me up, Man. please. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be honest. We don't have many people on here that have girlfriends. You know, knives, your belt sanders, your girlfriend. Yeah, honestly, at this um, point. Yeah, I, I hear you. My condolences. But, um, <laughs> you know, you may have may have another job going to pay for your knife-making addiction. So how do you balance all of all of the stuff you got going on in your life? That definitely is the best question I've heard. Um, not a lot of people think about it because, you know, they say, oh, you know, he makes knives. And they look past it, but um, it's definitely more time-consuming than a sport. And I uh, paddle, which is like Hawaiian-style canoe paddling. It's like kayaking, but much more intense. Cough, cough. Um, so it's very hard, especially during paddling season, which is during the winter and summer, to uh, balance out doing that, staying in shape, um, being able to make knives and, you know, keeping up with schoolwork and trying to keep, uh, at least above a 3.7 GPA. So, um, it's tough. I admit, um, one thing that I really thought that helps is every once in a while, about maybe once a month, I'll just take a break from my shop and I'll just hang out with friends. And other times I'll just be in my shop all weekend, just cranking out knives. Like there's no tomorrow. Hmm. Yeah. I like to, I like to hang out with friends on Sunday afternoon. That's sort of my break. And then, you know, after school some days, but I've got basketball season right now. We're doing just practices, but, you know, and working out. It's, you know how hard it is to work out after you come home from the shop? Oh, God, Ooh. yeah. And the thing is, people think like, oh, you know, you're already dirty, so if you sweat, no, 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 no. You don't want to get your G10 dust and your steel dust all over your workout. Equipment. Oh, God, no. You, you shower the second you get home. Oh, my God, And then yes. you work out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it depends how hard... I never work out that hard. Honestly, I'll go half an hour. I'm not that sweaty. I'll just go to bed. But yeah, it's going to it's it's going to be tough. My plan for the summer actually, and I've been telling everybody that'll listen this plan cuz I'm really excited about it. But I can drive come August. Um, but during, you know, July and August, I'm going to go down this sort of like a little pond near my house. I'm going to run a lap around there, hit the outdoor basketball court for an hour, do some training, some athletic stuff and then go work all day all summer and just like you know mm-hmm. as as the young kids say these days i'm gonna be on that grind yes sir and i'm gonna literally be, <laughs> yeah literally figuratively i mean i'm grinding away and um yeah just try to get a healthy groove going sort of is the idea and i haven't been working for weeks so i've just been thinking about how i can be more productive how i can get into the shop um, my favorite way to work on a school day, because it's sort of an awkward timing, especially because my shop is you know about five or ten minutes from my house and I have to get a ride from somebody, um, is I'll come home from school at three, eat a full supper at three, you know, 15 or whatever, and then go work until eight and eat a second supper. So mm. then I can sort of, you know, I don't have to come back in after three hours or whatever. So that's sort of been my best way, although balancing it, as far as that goes, it's it's non-existent. Oh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Well, life is busy, especially when you're trying to run your own business and keep in shape and stuff like that. Yeah, it's sort of a frantic, what am I going to do today? But so far, I'm, I'm making it. I'm making it by. And you mentioned GPA. As a, as a Canadian, I don't understand what GPA is at all, because we have, like, your average... But it's in percent. It's you know you're oh. the average of all your grades out of a hundred percent. Okay. Um. So I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh. So an A is, um. So it's it's kind of complicated when you get into like the pluses and minuses. You have like A plus B plus, right? In, yeah. Uh, okay. So an A. Well, no, we don't have we do percent system, but oh, I understand do percent what system. it is. Okay. So a ninety four, I believe, and up is an A to an A plus, which is a four. Um, and then a a minus is like a 3.7 which is what 90 90 to 93% and it kind of goes on in that increments but i'm pretty sure percent wise if i got a 3.8 it's like uh ooh well right now i'm like at a 3.9 so that's like almost a 4.0 so that's like a 92% i would say 
Oh, we've got a genius on the show. Oh, I, I would not say that. No, though, that is that is good marks. That's sort of where I'm chilling, too. I try to pull 90s for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially because there's a couple awards at the end of the year, and some of them come with cash prizes, but I don't know which ones. So, like, I'm trying to get the chemistry award, but I've got this really smart kid in my class that beat me in science 10, and now I'm in chem, you know, for grade 11 chemistry, and I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to beat him. And I'm, I've, I haven't worked so hard in a class in a long time. I've got a 97 right now. I just want to brag. Um, <laughs> so I'm really trying to beat him, and I want to get that award. But I don't know if it comes with money or not. So I'll be so disappointed if they just give me a medal or something. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I really, I'd like to get paid for this school year. Buy a heat treat oven or something. Oh, if you don't heat treating is so much better when you have a heat treating oven especially because the fact you can use stainless and stuff like that but your quality of your knives are much better um yeah i ran some tests on some stuff i heat treated before and after i got the oven um the grain structure is phenomenal when you have the heat treating oven um people go oh you know you have to use parks 50 oil and you have to do this kind of stuff but they're still heat treating a forge i mean i can't even get parks 50 in hawaii because of the shipping laws and whatever. So I just use vegetable oil and my grain structure is phenomenal. Which, yeah, you know, even, heat treat is quality, right? Yeah, I definitely that's definitely my next big one, especially since I'm renting that power hammer. Shout out to Ethan Hardy. Mm. Um, but yeah, even Mareko Mamasi, who is arguably one of the best knife makers, you know, alive, uh, says that uh, canola oil is comparable to a lot of uh, professional obviously a, an engineered quench agent will be better but your temperature is way way more important than the than the precise composition of your oil and different vegetable oils can be better for different types of steel as well mm-hmm. and i guess if you're using stainless uh aren't a lot of those plate quench steels uh yes um so for the majority of my steels i'll do something called a frozen plate quench i basically slap the um the plates in the deep freeze i'll take them out and i'll use uh i lock them in a vice and then i will just stick the knife out from the heat treating oven into the vice with the frozen plates and i'll just quench it and i can probably get about a couple knives out of each plate so i have two sets of plates and so i can heat shoot about four knives without having to like put it back in the freezer have you ever blasted compressed air in between the plates while the knife is in there um no need when it's frozen um hmm. that would be overkill I don't know anything about it. I've just heard them talk about it on Knife Talk, I'm going to be honest. Oh, it's I'm basically a... just cooling the knife down um, oh. as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah. No, though, I'm definitely a, a 1084 guy. I'm kind of on the basic heat treating level right now. Like, I've, I set my forge up. I built it with the intention of you know, trying to get the best forge heat treat I can. I hope to. I can't decide if I should just really try and focus on saving for a heat treat oven or put a PID in the forge. Especially for simple steels, a PID and a forge is pretty good. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where I am in a couple months. I would recommend the heat treating oven personally. It um, the ability to also you know do other types of steels because you know somebody might ask like, hey, can you make me a I don't know CPM ninety V chef's knife and I'll pay you a thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah, I want a CPM ninety V chef's no. knife and I'm willing to pay for it. Now you have the option to do so. You can't do that in a forge. Although uh, shipping out for heat treat isn't too expensive, if you're if you for you know the odd order. Although if I was doing a lot of stainless, it's definitely mm-hmm. and you know necessary investment. I totally agree. I totally agree. But speaking of necessary investment, what's the next tool that you're looking to? Uh, in the shop there so recently i've been buying a lot of smaller things like um so i just bought a liquid nitrogen doer my own finally because i was always borrowing kens um so the next investment i'm going to get is a surface grinding attachment for my belt grinder because i always use the uh, surface grinder at uh kens it's a real surface grinder he just upgraded it the thing's insane uh, I cannot fit a surface grinder in my shop because I previously stated that, you know, I have plyboard floors. I, yeah. I'm kind of running out of space because it's a pretty small shop. Uh, so a surface grinding attachment, and though it's not exactly what I want, um, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm just going to get it. So that's not bad for knives. Again, unless you're doing really high-end folders, a, surf- a real surface grinder is a little overkill. 
Sorry, Ken Even is I... rubbing off on me. He says it's the best or nothing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I'm more of a I'm more of a rustic kind of guy. Mm-hmm. We're in Although, pretty much different industries, if you think about yeah. it. Oh, really? Stock removal and forging, especially because I'm doing. Well, you're not doing a ton of chef's knives. You're doing some though. Um, chef's knives are definitely probably my favorite knife to make. But yeah, yeah. I've probably made about six or seven so far. Yeah. No, I'm definitely really into the kitchen knives, especially because I'm not a user of hunting knives or anything, but I really enjoy. I don't cook as much as I probably should, but I do definitely really enjoy cooking and using my knives, and and yeah, I'm a kitchen knife guy, but we're definitely on different ends of different ends of the spectrum. I'm forging, so already when you're forging knives, especially if you're leaving a forged finish, all these milling machines and surface grinders don't mean anything. Oh, right you have 100%. to you have to fit up your handle with a file and mm-hmm. you know your grinding is gonna be freehand if you want even grind lines because a oh, jig I, is I never gonna match your yeah. you know what you oh, i guess but you know what i mean yeah. like you can't you can't machine things it's, Def, no you definitely cannot although honestly i'm really really love doing single piece wooden block handles and i'm doing all hidden tang right now oh and i'll mm-hmm. burn that pretty far in like, I really love the tightness of a burnt fit because then I can shape the handle without gluing it. Mm-hmm. And then once I glue it, like, it's it's pretty good. Oh, no, that's wonderful. The only thing you got to watch out for is when you're uh, burning. Um, if you're using regular wood on kitchen knives, you know, you're going to have to replace that over time because uh, wood doesn't really last that long on a good chef's knife, especially if they're using it a lot. And the stabilized woods, you know, you're basically burning resin. So it's pretty mm-hmm. toxic. So just just a warning. Yeah. That definitely is the concern, and I'm looking looking to figuring out what I'm going to be making knife handles out of. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah, probably stabilized wood makes the most sense. And, yeah, that burning, you're going to have to do it outside. Yeah, pretty uh, I want to get – I need better ventilation and dust collection in my shop or probably my, actually, next tools I should be getting. I just got both of those recently. Um, finally – bit the bullet and just purchase some half decent uh, dust collection system oh you know what i have a grinding room but i need uh i want to get one of those like freezer doors with the vinyl straps or strips that run all the way to the floor to keep the dust in because right now i have to like leave the door open because for starters the room's not that big and then the door actually it just has one of those sort of a knob that is nailed onto the wall and it turns you know you can turn it to hold the door shut or open it to open the door and you can't lock it it, it locks on a like the thing will fall and lock you in if you close the door while you're inside and you can't open it from the outside so i actually made that mistake once i closed the door because i was grinding g10 and that i had to bust down the door to get myself out so yeah i gotta i gotta figure out a new door for the grinding room is the next step Oh yeah, I mean, you know, keeping your lungs healthy, especially because you know we're still young and these things are still developing. Um, I think it's really important to have good dust collection, have a half decent respirator. Um, you know, keeping your surfaces clean and cleaning up after yourself when you do end up using these more toxic materials like the G10 dust, the stainless steels. Um, like you know, when you're using 1084, if you're using wood. You could honestly probably get away without using a respirator, but once you start getting into like the CPM steels with all the vanadium and the cobalt and all those heavy metals um, settling everywhere, you know, that stuff doesn't come out of your lungs very easily. And like the G10 and the micartas. Although steel and cherry dust isn't good for you. No, I, I wouldn't think so either. But I'd, yeah, you're definitely right. The more man-made stuff you're getting into, the more you need to think about it. Although I'm definitely super conscious super conscious of um all the safety stuff i really want to get a full a full head respirator or you know what i mean the full mask ones that like or like not a, like a full alex steel style but just I was it's like a normal respirator but with a yeah somebody uh, like simple a little life uses that a lot yeah so i really like that just because you don't have to have safety glasses and i feel like it'll make you more comfortable and i won't be so tempted to take it off sometimes Oh, you're 100% right, yeah. Because, yeah, comfort is important. And, PSA, cleaning your respirator is something that I used to never do, which oh, is yeah, bad. I do it every day. And my dad talked to me about it, and, yeah, you gotta, you should even be wiping it out with, um, like, a denatured alcohol 
and disinfecting that every day and then yeah scrubbing with soap and water once a week or something but uh, i use keep a, it in a plastic bag yeah definitely keep it in a plastic bag so you're not using your filters up um what i do is i use this uh, facial cleaner it's called sea breeze i don't know if you guys have that it's like an astringent basically what it, it's basically rubbing alcohol that smells better and i just wipe all the inside of my mask and it kills all the germs and um you know it takes off all the dust and everything yeah so yeah everybody out there who's feeling so good about wearing their respirator if it's not clean it's not you know worth anything so definitely use it or you know what i bet you a plastic container would be nicer to keep it in just because it's easier to access than a plastic bag mm-hmm. so you're, you're oh, that's not, what I uh, yeah, plastic you're not tempted to ignore it be like oh it's in the bag i don't want to wear it which most people wouldn't really think about like why wouldn't you wear your respirator but you know when you're taking it off and on constantly it gets hot in there and you know anybody who complains about wearing a mask it's like welcome to my world right yeah right the respirator is way worse way worse Especially because it's hard plastic and rubber and it's rubbing on your face. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have to have it pretty tight, you know, so you're not going to get a good seal on it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, your cloth masks don't don't come complaining to me, all right? I have I no know. sympathy for you. I have zero sympathy for you. Actually, my science teacher wears two of them, which is better. <laughs> the double masking, yep. Yeah. Lots of kids give them a hard time, but definitely good makes me feel good i'm sitting in the front row so i'm done i'm not complaining hey you're safe man that's all it's all about safety especially when you know you talk to like other knife makers and craftsmen like you see us doing some pretty dangerous stuff and i think people that aren't in the industry and don't know what they're talking about say like oh you know that looks so unsafe but when you really come down to it you know you're probably being as safe as you possibly could yeah i mean i I haven't died yet (laughs) same here no, it's worth it. I like I couldn't I couldn't stop doing it. And that's my driving force behind wearing my mask and stuff is my my respirator is that um you know, I can't imagine having health issues somewhere down the line and not being able to work anymore. Mm-hmm. I, so, I totally agree. Health is probably um, the most important thing, I'd say. Definitely, definitely. Especially yeah, like you said, we're young. We've got a lot of years left doing this. You don't want to mess yourself up now. Mm-hmm, exactly. And on that uh, ch- bright and cheery note, we've we just hit the hour mark, and we've just hit the bottom of my list of questions. All right. Um, would you mind if I leave a bit of remarks, real quick? Oh, words of wisdom on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I always ask. Okay, um, so Ken Onion, my mentor, he loves, uh, after he met me, he, I kind of introduced him to like the new world of knife making. Um, you know, all these young people coming up, starting to make knives, starting to make things in general. You know, as a kid, we don't have access to a lot of information, I'd say. I mean, like direct information. You know, you can learn how to make knives on YouTube. I'm pretty sure that's how we all started. Well, I sure um, did. But if you are a young maker or if you're somebody that's older and you're listening to this show, please feel free to DM me anytime if you have any questions about anything knife related. Um, I say it's kind of like my way of giving back to Ken because Ken says he doesn't know how to use technology very well. And he um, tries to reach out to these people, but he doesn't know how to. And I'd say the way I can kind of say appreciation towards him is I can help other people um, who are wanting to get into knife making. So if you have any questions about knife making that I can help you with, as long as it's not stupid, um, please feel free to DM me at any time. Awesome. Yeah, that's a thank you for putting that out. And yeah, DM Sean, DM me. Uh, most knife makers are pretty willing to share information if you show you've put in work before. Exactly. Right. They love to make fun of on Knife Talk people DMing Mareko and saying, so how do you make your knife start to finish? Can you just make me a video? Um <laughs> And honestly, I probably I wouldn't put up with that either, and no, I'm not as not. busy as him. So, mm-hmm. but definitely any any legitimate question, um, our doors are always open. So th- yeah, thanks for saying that, Sean. That's a great point and a great uh, just, just a great thing to say. And you've been great. You've been a great guest. Thanks for coming on and being patient. I'd like to say sorry again for abandoning you on Saturday. I feel really bad about that, but I'm glad we could finally do this. Hey, man, no problem. It happens to the best of us, right? Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. 
Anytime, anytime. We'll definitely have to have you back on sometime. Thank you all to all you listeners. I've uh, been listening to the Young Makers Knife, ooh, the Young Makers podcast on the Makery Network. Um, I hope you've enjoyed. Oh, I've seen you guys have been leaving more reviews lately, and I appreciate that so much. So please continue with that. That's the best way to support the show, other than I guess sending me money for no reason. But that's another topic. <laughs> um, but no reviews and you know any type of likes, subscribes, shares. Any of that interaction, I would really appreciate. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, send to at Young Makers Podcast on Instagram. And go follow Sean Leong Bladeworks. And uh, with that, I'd like to say thank you for listening. And oh man, I actually can't remember my outro. Good night. Keep making. <laughs>